This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money, or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about launching a profitable SaaS business and using a podcast to generate more business ideas. Today, we have our guest, Alex Sanfilippo, joining us. Alex is the founder at Podmatch.com, which is an AI tool used to generate interviews by bringing in podcast guests and hosts on the same platform. Alex is also the host of Creating a Brand Podcast, a top 20 entrepreneurship podcast that releases weekly masterclass interviews. So welcome, Alex. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Thanks so much, Akil. I'm definitely honored to be here. As soon as I saw like the, the cover art of this podcast, I was like, this sounds awesome. So I started listening to it, and it's just cool to actually be on the show now as well. I appreciate you saying that. Um, so we always like to start off, obviously, we know a little bit about you, but our, our, our listeners want to hear more. Tell us about your personal background, and how did you start your entrepreneurial journey to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. I, um, from my background, I'm actually here in Jacksonville, Florida, which is usually beautiful. Today, when we're recording, it is super foggy and cold outside, which is unusual. But, but usually I live in the sunshine state. I live a few minutes from the ocean and I've always lived really close to the water. It's something that I just enjoy. It's where I find my inspiration. So at a young age, I decided I, I, for some reason, I just wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think I saw my dad doing that. Uh, My dad was always an entrepreneur. So I decided I wanted to do that. I started at the age of 12 selling used golf balls. I'm not going to get into that story. I'll fast forward a few years at least. But when I was in high school, I decided to do some tech. I enjoyed computers. I wasn't great off of computers. Uh, I wasn't much for sports or anything like that, but I, I knew how to navigate around a computer. So I, I worked with a team to actually develop what's now considered a 365 tour of a home. So you might see these, these virtual tours of houses where you're maybe looking on Zillow or something like that. And you can kind of uh, go through the house and actually move around. You can like drag the mouse and look up and look down and, and turn your views and things like that. So that original software was something that was pioneered by a company that I was working with that I actually started. And, uh, and that was a really, that was like my first step into entrepreneurship. I was actually 16 years old when I started that, uh, which was a weird, a, a weird age because like legally the whole thing is different than now as an adult. I was a kid. So like my dad helped me and, and stuff like that. But I ended up hiring people and really had no idea what I was doing with any of that. But long story short, I'm being a big success. There's about seven of us running that team uh, on that team. And that was a really fun experience. Unfortunately, it didn't end as well as it probably could have. We kind of had like a real high point. But when 2007, 2008 hit and the economy really wrecked, especially over here where we were at, uh, Florida took a huge hit. I, I'm sure everywhere it really did, but it really messed us up. So I actually ended up exiting from that with a very small profit that I made from it, but ended up passing it off to one of the people who was actually 
already involved in the business and he kind of just took over and ran with it because he still, he wanted to hang in there long-term. So he's actually still doing that today. Many years later, he's somebody that I still have a relationship with, but I've been out of it since that time, however long ago that was now, 12 years, I guess I've been out of that. But it was a really cool experience in my first introduction to entrepreneurship, leading a team, understanding what profit margin is. Didn't get much into legal stuff. Thanks, dad, for helping me out there. But I was <laughs> able to at least ba- create a baseline of what entrepreneurship could look like in my life. And fast forward many years later, I've had a few ventures. I've worked in the corporate world. I've done a lot of different things and really just enjoyed business in general throughout my entire journey. Very nice, very nice. So now, you know, 2020, in the last two years or so after you know, you've gone, gone through that process, uh, you've now switched focus to focus on the, the podcast industry where, you know, that's where your expertise lies. Um, so you launched the Creating a Brand podcast yourself, and you've also founded Podmatch, where your vision is to help others in life as well as business. How do you see, um, you know, podcasting fitting in the SaaS space for, for founders or marketers for building their brands? Where, where do you see the biggest value uh, for starting your own podcast? Yeah. So starting your own podcast is, is a lot of work is the first thing I'm going to say. Uh, and Akil, you know that, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. it's not necessarily easy to, to start a podcast. So the first thing I always say to people is I don't recommend starting a podcast to most people that ask me, even if they have a business and things like that. Now, if they really want to, and they have the capacity, the bandwidth to do it without it stealing focus from their primary objective, fine, then, then start a podcast and go for it. If you have people that you want to meet in the industry, it's a great way to get really cool introductions. Probably in my mind, the easiest way to get great introductions is through having your own podcast. So there are a lot of benefits to it. However, on the flip side, being a guest on a podcast is exceptionally powerful. And I do recommend that to anybody in the SaaS space, anyone who has a product or service, B2B, B2C, human to human, whatever it is that you're trying to do, right? Get on podcasts because people who listen to podcasts tend to be buyers. And we've learned that to be true. Actually, the the average household income, and I don't know how Forbes figured this out, but somehow they did this study that the average household income of podcast listeners is above a quarter million dollars, just over about a quarter million dollars. Those wow. are people with money who are interested in buying, usually also interested in bettering themselves. And that's a really important thing for us to keep in mind. So being a guest on a podcast is very, very powerful. But yes, there's both sides. There's the host, there's the guest. Um, I enjoy both sides of the mic personally. I'm sure you do as well. Uh, But I recommend to people that are maybe really early in a SaaS startup to maybe not take off that that huge uh, project of starting a podcast, but instead just saying, you know what, I'm going to join as a guest on as many of them as I can to really talk about what I'm doing. And at some point, if you decided to flip the switch and, and do your own as well, go for it. But that's kind of like where I, I tell people to start. Mm. I guess it's, I also think it's easier to start a podcast. The hard part is actually continuing to it and staying, sticking to it for a long term, right? Because I think what's, what's the average? I think people fizzle out after five or six episodes. So if, if yeah, you just stick past I, I that, think it's then, actually moved up to seven. Thank you. Seven? Thank you to like um, anchor a couple of their websites are making it easier, but still seven. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. I always tell people like the number one key to success in the podcasting game is consistency. If you're right. consistent, you will win the game over time. Because uh, more and more people listen to podcasts. Actually, the rate of people listening to podcasts is growing faster than the number of podcasts that are getting started, which means if you just stay consistent and keep on going, you're going to do a great job. And, and one more stat I'll throw out there about podcasting. I know we don't want to get into this too deep, but I find it really interesting. We are about to hit 1.9 million podcasts technically on Apple. It's kind of the way that it's driven. However, out of those 1.9 million, if you look at active podcasts, which means an episode in the last 90 days and have more than 10 episodes, it's less than 400,000. So people are always like, there's wow. so many podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. There really aren't. If you think about people that are actually doing it consistently and have more than 10 episodes, 
400,000 isn't that many when you think about now the hundreds of millions of people that are listening to podcasts. Think about that difference in that spread. There's a lot of opportunity in podcasting and I'm passionate about this as you can tell. I know I want a little rant there, but we'll bring it back around. <laughs> sure, sure. So, I mean, that's a good stat. I mean, 25%, if you can make that cut, then then you're doing well. Um, what what other, other benefits? So you started your podcast with a different vision, right? You came in there to kind of learn some new ideas, which is kind of the topic of this, this podcast. So can you tell us a little bit more, what are those benefits of starting your own podcast and you know, should everybody starting look to start one if, if they were kind of considering it? Yeah. So, um, it, you know, if people weigh the cost and they said, I'm going to be consistent, I'm going to start a podcast, then yes, by yeah. all means, go for it. For me, the first thing that was great was introductions, like getting just to meet people. And as soon as I started launching a podcast, I realized how giving the podcasting community is like, there was nobody who was like, I'm not going to tell you my secrets because I don't want you to succeed like I have, you know, like that, that doesn't really exist. And sure, there's the outliers, the few people that are probably actually like that. But the majority of people in this space are super kind, really welcoming, really inviting. And so for me, I was like instantly when I started launching, I'm like, this is great. There's so many nice people here. I'm going to actually try to focus in adding some value in the space once I get a little bit of a name and understand what I'm doing. So obviously the first few episodes, I don't recommend anyone to go back and listen to those, but some of the later <laughs> ones started getting pretty good, I like to believe. But uh, when I launched, I just really had the focus of, okay, here's the people I want to meet. And now I have the opportunity to because I have a platform to talk to them on. And also now that I want to kind of serve this, this audience, if you will, podcasting, I want to start speaking at the conferences. So I traveled around and spoke at all of them. And then I just wanted to identify problems. Like what can I do to serve people? So when I launched the podcast, it was because I didn't necessarily see people doing one the way that I wanted to for, for me. So I launched it with that intent and then I shifted to having like an avatar and things like that. And I just did my best to serve that person the best I could while also serving other podcasters is they kind of helped serve me. And that's kind of how I got my start in this space. And for anyone who's wanting to get into it, really get a big picture of what you want to do before you start. I think that's probably the most important thing is to, to scale back and say, okay, why am I starting a podcast? If you're starting one just to have one, it's probably going to fizzle out. But if you're starting one because you're like, I think it'll bring in leads for the business, or I could possibly meet these industry professionals, about 100 people on this list I have, or maybe I want to get into doing some education for people. There's a lot of reasons to do it, but it takes sitting back, reflecting yourself and figuring out, okay, this is exactly what I want to do and why I want to do it. And that's just a really important thing. There's actually a quote by Viktor Frankl that I like to use, and it's, when you know your why, you can endure any how. Again, mm -hmm. the, the how mm -hmm. of podcasting can be a lot, can be daunting. But if you remember why you're doing it and you have that, that business vision for it, you can keep it going long term, I believe. Right. Yeah, just like Simon Sinek says, right? It all starts with, starts with your why and then everything yeah. kind of follows. Yeah. Um, so you, you have kind of two options, right? Or I guess there's several options when starting a podcast. You have you know, doing this on your own, recording content, educating people without, uh, you know, uh, interview style. And then you have the interview style, which is kind of what we're doing today. Um, in your opinion, what constitutes a, a high quality podcast interview? So if, if for listeners, what, what have you seen from the top podcasts that you've seen? What are the traits that are, are common among them? Yeah, it really all falls on the host. Okay, mm -hmm. so no, no, uh, uh, no, no pressure there, right? Like the host Gosh. is really what drives how good an interview goes. Uh, and I say that for a couple of reasons. One, they're picking the guests. So you have to be really careful when you pick a guest. Like it's, okay. there, there's a lot of people who want to be on podcasts that are very, very salesy. That They get this idea where they don't come from a place of value. They come from a place of, I can make profit from this. And it really shows in the way they share with the audience. Like they won't give you anything of value, but just enough to make you go look at what they're doing. And mm -hmm. that's just not great. Not, and unfortunately, I've had a handful of those where they weren't driven by value, they're driven by profit. And that's a, that's a scary thing to do. So as a host, you have to really vet the people really well first. But after that, if you know you have a guest that is gonna bring value, you can't rely on the fact that they're just a great person. Like you also have to do your research. So for me, doing the research is super important. I ended up 
just, this is just kind of how it happened for my podcast. I mostly interview authors on topics that really matter for entrepreneurs that are wanting to take that first or next step in business. So earlier phases of business, and, and I'm talking to authors that have something that's really helpful for those individuals. What I'll do is if I'm going to talk to them about one of their books specifically, I will actually read the entire book which most people are like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? So yes, I read 52 books a year and I make sure that I actually go through it and I really know it. And I consistently hear from those guests after we're done recording, like not every time, but very close to like, wow, that was literally one of the best interviews I've ever done. And I've had people from uh, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneurs on Fire, to mm -hmm. Jordan Harbinger, to Seth Godin. Like these people have all been on my show, which is really a cool thing. I say this humbly as I can. I've just really done the time up front and here's the thing, it reflects to the audience. Uh, I, it's, not, it's not uncommon for me here. It's actually almost every day. I had someone even earlier today. They asked like how, they're like, how are you such a good interviewer? And my secret is that I'm actually not a good interviewer. Like I don't, I maybe, I've done enough that I'm probably like above average at this point, but I'm not like some natural great at this. I just do a lot of really great work on the prep side of things. So that when I'm actually doing the interview, people are like, oh my gosh, he like knows what this guy's gonna say and he's guiding the conversation perfectly, but it's only because I did the time up front. So I think that that's what makes a really great interview. The host being prepared, making sure they have the right guests and then making sure they really know the content they're gonna get into and have a real drive or focus for what that episode's gonna be about. Nice. Nice. That's actually really good tips. And uh, I, I, I agree with that completely. I think doing that, taking that extra step to do the research, uh, I think that that's a game changer and shows that. But I've also heard differently, right? Some I've sent it to some guests. We do a lot of research. We send them the questions and they're like, yeah, I don't even look at it. I prefer just to show up and they actually don't like to review it. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's yeah. I mean, hey, it, it goes, that's why I say it goes back to the, the host. Some people like sure. um, I, I actually very rarely look at the questions that come in myself. Um, mm. it, but what I like about getting the questions, I sometimes I'll, I'll read through them, especially if they're like very specific questions. But what I like about it is it shows that the host like you're one of these hosts that did the time to know the questions to ask me to keep it on track and things like that. So for me, I actually feel confident coming on this podcast that you're not going to be like, like, so did you write a book? You know, like, because <laughs> you already know that, no, I didn't write a book, right? Or like, right. do you do this? And sometimes I'll jump on some podcasts where people ask that stuff. I'm like, you don't know anything about me. Like, why? Mm -hmm. I, I want to speak to your audience, but you should really understand the value I'm going to add to them before you have me on. And so you've done done the time. So really, again, it all goes back to the host. Just make sure they can kind of direct it knowing who the guest is. Yeah, that yeah, makes makes perfect sense. And then for, for those in our audience, maybe they're, okay, they, they've started to commit to this. They're going to do at least more than seven episodes. They've, they bought all the equipment. They're ready to go. They've, they've got a budget and, and time towards it. Can you share any tips to these founders listening right now? You know, how, how can they get started and improve their chances of starting a successful podcast? And I mean, specifically from a ROI standpoint, have, have you seen anything there? Yeah. So, I mean, it, there is a little bit of upfront cost, like you said, uh, with podcasting. You got the gear that you got to you got to grab. You don't need like all the best gear in the world. So um, I got started for less than three hundred dollars. Uh, some people get started for less than five thousand. You know, it just depends what you want. But regardless, when you start making sure you have a good return on investment is really important. And to me, uh, kind of going back to that whole concept of why you, you mentioned Simon Sinek, we got to make sure we really understand the purpose for it. It can't just be to have a podcast. It can't just be to have like that we can, you know, tie the word podcast in the end of our brand and be like, yeah, we got a podcast as well, right? It's got to actually solve a specific problem, especially if you are a SaaS founder, you've started something that's actually supposed to help somebody with something specific, right? So you want to make sure that you really focus the conversations on that and making that easier for your ideal customer, whether it be a business or an actual end user. Uh, it's really important to make sure that you, that you do a good job solving problems. So, the world's obviously changed and that's no surprise to anybody anymore, but consumer buying habits have changed as well in the sense of people buy from people that are willing to help them for free. 
And so what I mean by that, they'll, they'll buy your product, they'll buy your service, but many people, myself included, before I buy something, I want to look at their blog. I want to listen to their podcast and I want to hear what kind of information they're sharing to help me succeed. Like, do they just want me to buy their product and they're like, cool, you're done. I'll find a new customer now. Or do they say, okay, you've got the product or you think about the product. Here are five ways to succeed with this. Here's a, a case study that dives deep into how you can really use this well. When people do that, when companies do that, that's the ones I want to align with because they're not just devoted to getting me as a customer. They're devoted to me succeeding as their customer. And so when you start a podcast, especially when you have a SaaS involved in it, you've got to really think about, okay, what is the ideal problem we're going to be able to help solve for our, our customer? Yes, they're going, to, they're going to buy our software and it's going to change their life. It's going to be great. But how can we teach them to use it better or to motivate them to use it to its full capacity? and different things like that, right? You've got to really get into that mind of your customer. And I find a great way to do this is to start asking. Just say, hey, you're using our service. What else could we do to make it more helpful? What would have made it easier for you to start using it? What would make it better if we could help you keep, keep you motivated long-term, right? These are all questions that we need to be asking. And then when we do this, we make a podcast around that. You've got this great educational piece that's going to help your customers use your product even better than, than they could without it. Nice, nice. And then so you just, you start building it, you know, ROI aside, now you want to move to the next step of saying, you know, we want to be the top uh, podcast in the industry. You want to become a leader in your industry. Um, how do you grow your podcast to attract that larger audience and keep continuing to grow? Because I know you've had some big guests on your podcast. For example, we want to be the best SaaS podcast out there, period. Uh, what would you suggest someone for us to, to get to get there? First off, man, I got to say, I think you're on your way. Like this is, yeah. this is probably, this is, I only remember a few SaaS uh, podcasts and there's only a couple that I listen to. Like yours is one of them subscribe to. There's very few nice. that I do that with just because they don't really focus really well. But you had an episode I just listened to, uh, 76, talking about quickly scaling your SaaS company to 10 million ARR with uh, Matt. I'm blanking on his name. Um, but regardless, really great episode, super helpful for a guy like me who's just in my second year of doing this. Uh, so really cool stuff. So first off, I think that you're on the right track personally. So uh, hats you. off to you, my friend. But anyway, Thank you. Uh, I digress. Back on um, <laughs> back on the topic here. You know, a lot of people, when they think about growing their podcast, they think about widening the net, right? They think about, okay, we need to cover more topics and we need to, to speak to more people and cater to more people. The truth is you have to do the opposite of that. You have to narrow it even more. Here's an example of that. I met somebody and she had a podcast and it's, she speaks to empty nesting mothers that have AIDS. Empty nesting mothers that have AIDS. I was like, wow. that is super specific. I was like, does anyone listen to your podcast? Her podcast is three times the size of mine. And I think that mine's somewhat, in, mine's a narrow, is entrepreneurs getting started, which that is a lot of people, I'll admit. I technically have a bigger net, if you will. Hers is extremely narrow. How she even finds these people, I don't know. But somehow <laughs> she's done that and she has a massive multi-million dollar company. And that's kind of like her top of her funnel, if you will. And she she's helping the people that are actually struggling with this. And you think about it, there are a lot of people that probably fit that demographic, right? Like there's probably, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people at least that fit that demographic. But she's so narrowly focused on that one problem and offering the solution to that one problem that she's grown a really big audience. So again, this is counterintuitive. Like the, the everyone thinks the opposite, mm -hmm. like make a bigger net, make a podcast for everyone and everyone will come. When you make something for everyone, it's for no one. When you're trying to cater to the entire world, it's not for the world anymore. It's just for, it's something to waste time with, right? So the idea is to narrow it even more. I mean, so your podcast, I think, is actually really focused and you do a good job on that. But a lot of people, they start saying, okay, we're also going to talk about this now. Like we're going to talk about real estate and mm. the automotive industry. And it's like, no, you, you can't do that. You should focus now instead real estate industry and say strictly flipping houses. Okay, now strictly flipping houses with 
no money down, right? Like when you narrow it down to that, you're finding more and more the people that are looking for something specific like that. So my advice to people that are wanting to grow their podcast is to narrow the focus even more than you already have and find more and more niche guests in that, in that area and then market it to those individuals that are really looking for that one specific little thing. And you'd be shocked when people were actually struggling with that. And that's going to help you grow your podcast, I'd say more than anything else. How far, how deep would you go with that? For example, example, real estate, no money down, uh, you know, flipping houses. Would you go to Jacksonville, Florida, or would you, would you stay a little broader than that? Yeah, I'd, I'd stay a little broader than that. You know, it's funny that you say that because I actually talked to, to Seth Godin about this and he, okay. uh, he made a joke about it because he actually had somebody reach out to him who makes birdhouses. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And the guy wanted to quit his job and just do podcasting about birdhouses full time. And uh, he's like, how many people make birdhouses in the country? He's like, um, there's maybe like a, a few thousand total. And he's like, you're not going to ever retire because you need 600,000 people listening to retire to make money off of ad revenue. And there's not enough people in that narrow focus. Like you're going to have to change something a little bit, right? It's going to yeah. go into woodworking or to something else where it can widen a little bit. So, uh, you know, there, I know some people that actually do local like Jacksonville, Florida podcast, and they do really well in Jacksonville, Florida. But you're not going to listen to that. Like you don't care what our, if our beaches are open or closed right now. I don't think you know, like, That's true. Yeah, yeah. You get focused and we do have about a million people in the city. So if you did a really good job making something local, it could still work. Cause technically if you just have 10,000 people looking, listening to your podcast every week or every 30 days or whatever the kind of standards, I think it's 30 days. Now if you get 10,000 people listening for 30 days. You're in the top 0.5% of all podcasters. So and yeah, maybe 10,000 people in one city would listen to it. So for me, I don't necessarily recommend it. But if you have a localized product, then then yeah, go for it. Again, speak to who your audience is, not to the general population or the masses even. No, that, that makes complete sense. That's super cool. I mean, that's what radio basically is, right? They have those, they're there in business for a reason. Yeah. And all they're targeting is small little towns or cities. And I guess it works. It works yeah. for them. They're, they're, you know, radio is still bigger than podcasting. I mean, at some point that shift will happen, I believe. But right now, there's still more people listen to radio than listen to, to podcasting. So, uh, and true. it's more localized than we are. So maybe, maybe they're ahead of the game a little bit, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, so you're, you said about two years and now kind of fairly new entrepreneur in the, in the SaaS space. Um, share, can you share a little bit? What, what would you say some of the biggest failures you face along the way in, in building Podmatch? Podmatch? Yeah. Yep. There, there's a, there's quite a few, uh, quite a few of them. I'll, I'll mention okay. that, you know, and I think that a lot of people like to hear that that are in SaaS because we kind of look at like the, the outliers, right. That are, you see them on TV, you see them like on blogs, you see them on podcast interviews where they're like, yeah, I woke up one day, had this idea. The next day I was making $10 million a, a month. And, you know, my MRR went through the roof and it's like, what? You know, like mm-hmm. I did everything perfect. Like I actually talked to a guy. He's like, yeah, I actually didn't make any mistakes along the way. I'm like, you got super lucky. So the, the truth is we all make a ton of mistakes and uh, I can I can share a lot of those with you. The very first thing I'll mention is is trusting my own idea versus trusting the idea that it's actually a solution to a problem. And I'll define that a little bit. My mm-hmm. own idea is, ooh, I woke up and this would be really cool. I think this would be really great. And then just starting to build that and starting to go after that. That's never a good approach to take when you're doing a SaaS startup because you are guessing a problem that somebody else has. And chances are we, we miss it. Like entrepreneurs, many of us, we're visionaries, right? Like we have these ideas and often there are ideas, they're not actually problems. And any successful business is built off a problem. So you have to build it off a problem that you're offering a solution to. So for me, the biggest mistakes I made along the way that were failed attempts and first iterations of this project were just me saying this would be cool. People would like this, right? And that didn't work. It wasn't until I actually stopped and when my audience would reach out to me, I reach out to them, I said, hey, what are you actually struggling with? Like, what is the problem that you have? 
And when people started saying, I can't find the right guests for my show, I can find people who want to be on it, but not the right people that are going to speak to my audience. And the flip mm-hmm. side, when you got the people that said, I just wrote this book, or I just launched this online course, or just released my website, or just launched my SaaS, and I just want to find the right customer, and I just don't know how to, to get out there and market it organically, especially when I'm getting started, I'm bootstrapped or whatever, right? And they couldn't find the right podcast to be on or didn't even know that 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 option existed. So it's kind of helping bring those two people together. And it wasn't until I started really listening to that problem that I was able to create a proper solution. So my idea came from the problem instead of just from my mind. And I still have to fight those ideas that come into my head. I'll usually write them up and then validate them. But nine out of 10 times, the ideas that I have, if I can just be transparent here, they're not good ideas. Like they don't actually work. They don't solve a problem. It's just a cool thing for me to do. And it's a great practice is to, right. to practice the creative element, you know, really practice your creative mind. But uh, really, you have to find that problem. And, and that's always for me, that's that's where you have to get started. So for me, my first mistake, once again, was just not offering the right solution. It was just mm. not even really identifying the problem properly. Nice. And then on the on the growth side, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners are maybe at that early stage and they're trying to figure out, you know, what the growth strategies work. Um, can you share what, what has worked for you and maybe what hasn't on the on the marketing side? Yeah. So first off, being a guest on podcast has been great for me. That's really okay. like we, we've only done organic growth. So we launched the company with uh, bootstrapped and we, we put $5,000 into an account. It was me and my business partner. And six months after that, we both left our jobs and pursued it full time. So we we're able to build profit and things like that fairly quick. But we, uh, we, we decided we didn't want to go more traditional marketing uh, routes, at least to begin. Like, and we st- still today, we haven't done that yet. And just yesterday, we had people signing up just, it was like t- every 21 minutes, a new person was signing up yesterday throughout the day, which was awesome. Really great spot to be, all organic happening, which is really cool. Shows we really found the problem, right? And we're offering the solution to it. But uh, for me, being a guest on podcast was a great way to do that. And not again, not from a sales uh, pitch. It's just having a conversation like this, right? And could it work for people? Like maybe. And if they're listening, they might go check it out. And that's worked really well. Aside from that, we really broke into affiliate marketing. So anybody who joins is an affiliate. And we've asked mm-hmm. them to share it. We've been pretty gracious with being able to do payouts. We do payouts. That we have not missed a payout. We never will. But the first Monday of every month, we send out the, the payouts and make sure that we're respecting and honoring the people that have helped share us. We'll post about them on our social media and be like, hey, check out this person's show or check out this person's new product. They've been really helping us grow. So we want to make sure that we help them as well. And we've been really focused on that because for us, we look at the people that are using Podmatch as members, not as customers. And for me, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset shift. Like there are people that we are now uh, in community with. They are people that we're now working together with. They're not somebody that's just a client that's paying us. Now, how can we help each other succeed more? And that mindset has really helped us stand out and to grow really fast on a, an organic level. But for me, it all started with jumping on as podcasts and then just taking care of the people we have by making sure that they feel like they're part of a community and they have some, some buy-in. They, can, they have an affiliate link and they can earn some commission as well. I love it. So you mentioned that word focus, which I think is uh, super important because I think people love the idea of it and they think they are focused, but you're actually doing it. And you also speak a lot about, you know, productivity in, uh, you know, continuing to grow and, and, you know, managing your time effectively. You know, for most people who are starting out, you know, they're in the process of building their, their babies here and they feel the need to maybe work and drive and push to work 12 hours a day to, to make sure to get this engine going. How do you suggest for them to maybe start getting more by, by actually doing less. I think that's something you talk about. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a, that's a really great question. Uh, You know, when you start these things and and you know, this as well as I do, like you're, you're the marketing guy, you're the sales guy, you're the email support guy, you're the gift with the ideas. Like you're the guy who has to go to networking events. Like you're all the things, right? When you get started, especially. So it's like, okay, what on earth do I do here? 
focus is such an important word. And it's a matter of actually finding the the thing that you need to do that's the most important. So what 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 20% of your time can be used to generate 80% of the results and how can you maximize that time? So I love this acronym that I think it was Robert Kiyosaki who kind of coined it, but FOCUS stands for follow one course until successful. Follow mm. one course until successful. And I have that written down on one of my whiteboards behind me. It's something I remember on a daily basis that, okay, what do I need to focus on today to drive the business forward? Yes, I'd still do all those other things, but what's the first thing that I need to do and that most important thing that's gonna drive 80% of the results. So every day I just take one step to get closer to what I know needs to happen for us to continue to grow and develop instead of just jumping right into a support inbox or jumping right onto calls or right onto podcasts. Starting off, I'm making sure did I accomplish the one thing that is actually gonna get me further from to, to where I need to go. And there's actually something that was is uh, Jay Papasan. He wrote the book called The One Thing, which is just focused on this. He says that we way overestimate what we can do in five years, but we way underestimate what we can do in one. And I had him explain that to me. I'm like, okay, how so? Like, I'm a pretty driven guy. I'm good with time management. And he says, you're doing too much. Like, you've got to stop doing all those things. Make a very ambitious goal in one year and break it down to a daily level. What do you need to do today? So I just talked to somebody about this the other day. They're, they're looking for, they want to move to a new city and they want to sell their house. They want to buy a new one. They have, it's, it's actually someone in my family. They have all these things they want to do. And like, it's just so much to think about. And I was like, well, let's break it down. What do you need to do today to, to make this closer? He's like, well... I guess I need a list of realtors to call to see if they'd be good for listing my house. I'm like, that'll take you 20 minutes, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that takes me 20 minutes. I'm like, do that today and then stop today. And then tomorrow, call them. You know, that takes you 30 mm. minutes, right? Call them. And then the next day, find a realtor up, up north where you wanna move, right? And then make a list. And so these little things can make a big goal, like moving, getting a new job, selling a house, buying a house. Sounds like a lot, right? But if you break it down to these little tasks every day and just take one little step every day, you can do that in just maybe a month or two. Like it's actually not that big of a deal. The problem is we look at everything too holistically. So for me, again, looking at everything, it's a lot every day. And I feel like I have to do all these things. But the truth is, if I just focus on the one thing that matters most today and then let the, the rest kind of happen, then I really make great results. And that's how we've been able to grow Podmatches just by doing that. So I've been able to manage my time well because I focus it all around the one thing that needs to happen first and I let the rest happen afterwards. Love it, love it. Yeah, that's a great book. I think the one thing by by Gary Keller. Yeah, um, yeah. So you, you're continuing to grow Pod Podmatch. You know, speaking of that, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you guys are currently facing? You know, continue to, in in order to con continue to grow here. Yeah, you know, it, it goes back to something that that episode I already referenced of yours, uh, 76 with Matt. I'm blanking on his last name again, but anyway, <laughs> he talked about how like you begin with the end in mind, right? And I, I kind of did that, but from day one, I did not start a playbook or writing my documentation or my SOPs. And I really should have from day one. About three weeks ago, we hit a point where the support inbox was just beyond heavy. Like I had to, I had to pull back from some podcast guesting because now there's five of us that work on the team, but we're having to, to run the support inbox. But again, you know, with, with people signing up on average every 20, 25 minutes, whatever it might be, it can be a lot when people are just like, hey, I tried to upload an image, it didn't work. And it could be happening because there's so many people signing up at the same time, which I'm thankful for, but like maybe something happened. And mm -hmm. I didn't write proper documentation. So I had people being like, hey, how would you respond to this? Hey, how would you respond to that? Hey, can we put this into this page so it does, this doesn't happen again? So all these things were happening and that was on me because I didn't write proper documentation. So we've gone back over the last three weeks and really written great SOPs, standard operating procedures for how you respond to things. We've been ident identifying how many times each support question comes up. So example, one came up 14 times in two days. So what we did is we just put the answer to that question on the page that people were asking it. Like they kept on stopping because they didn't understand how we worded something. So the mm -hmm. answer to that problem was there. And now that those 14 emails that came in in two days, we don't get those anymore. 
And then we just looked at the next one. Okay. What's the next, again, going back to that whole one thing, right? What's the most common support question we're getting? How can we stop getting that question so we can help people up front with it? And so that was one of the big problems we had though. Like I had to face that. And there was like a week where I was probably working 12 hour days and the mass majority of my time was just spent responding to support and to sales questions and to these different things because I didn't properly build the foundation of the business. And that's mm-hmm. complete, I, I, I'm the one who took full responsibility for that. I'm very thankful that now today I can say we fixed that. We spend, we're actually doing even more from, from an email standpoint, but we're only spending about three hours a day in email versus multiple people spending about 10 to 12 hours a day. And it's because now we've built a really good document around our business. So if I hired another VA tomorrow, they could jump right in and really know how to run it as well. But that was a big mistake that I made. I didn't do that up front. And I think many of us just think that, oh, when I get bigger, I'll do it. You've got to do this stuff from day one. You've got to think about your exit strategy from day one. Documentation is key to scaling a business. And you're going to hit a point where you turn into someone who just works in the business versus on it if you can't figure this out from day one. Exactly, exactly. And especially from our perspective, like as acquirers, when we're doing investments into companies, I mean, that's something we always look for, right? How easy is it? You know, are you working in the business? Is the founder crucial to running the business or are there SOPs in place? And, uh, you know, anybody can can take over pretty smoothly. So that's a good, I think you're, you're on the right track there. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. that means a lot coming from you. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what your age is right now, but, you know, looking back to your 25 year old self, what's one advice you wish you had known and, and would tell yourself at that point? Yeah, so that was seven years ago for me. Actually, eight next okay. next week will be will be eight years. So uh, thirty three next next week. Um, nice. And this is actually a common practice I do. And I, I knew you were going to ask this question because I've heard you ask it many times. And uh, <laughs> something I commonly ask myself, like right now, I say, "What would thirty? Uh, I'm sorry, forty four year old Alex say to thirty three year old Alex?" I go 10, 11 years over, and I like just doing that to kind of get an idea of like, okay, here's what's here's what that person would say to me now. So like reflecting back to my twenty five year old self. I, the first thing I do is probably just slap myself. Like I would just hit myself across the face and be like, wake up, dude. Like, <laughs> come on, get your butt in gear. I, I was definitely a different person at, at that point. But um, uh, the biggest thing that I would say to to myself back then, if I had to give some some feedback, some advice to, to a younger version of Alex, would be to stop sweating the small things and to start thinking who instead of what. And so what I mean by that, there's all these things that that are what I need to do. I'm doing like air quotes there, right? Like what I need to do. So like what I need to do is I need to start a business. What I need to do is start writing blog posts. What I need to do is start running a YouTube channel. Like all these these what's that we feel like we have to do. I would tell myself that that you need to start thinking who. Like can you spread that out among a team? Can you delegate these things? Can you pass that off to somebody else? Do you even need to do it at all? Could somebody, could you find an AI tool that handles this type of thing? So for Mm. me back then, I would like to control way too much. And I think that many of us, we kind of go through that phase in our lives and some of us never get out of it, right? But for me, instead of always saying, here's all the things that are what I need to be doing, instead, who can do these instead? Even if they can do it at 70% the capacity I can, that's going to be good enough for other people. It's still going to serve people so that my time is freed up to do more. And if I could go back to myself then, I would have accomplished a lot more if I was willing to give up control and let some things go and start saying who instead of what I need to do. So that's the advice that... Uh, that I'd give to myself at, at 25. Yeah, definitely excellent advice there. Um, Alex, who or what are three best resources, whether it's books uh, or people or mentors or people you follow who you'd say have been instrumental to your success over these, these last maybe three, four years? Yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give three examples here, make them real brief. So first off, an individual, kind of an influencer who has really spoken to me is Brendan Bruchard. 
mm. a fairly common name in in this space and things like that. He's a great marketer, great influencer. Uh, he has a, a a book, High Performance Habits, and one of the points in that book, uh, number six, I think it was number five or number six, but he talks about courage being a, a, a key to high performance. And that was something that I really needed to hear. It spoke to me over the last five years, especially to be more courageous, to step out, to take big risks, to be willing to to leave a corporate job at one point that was really paying the bills greatly, if, if you can, and to really just focus on what I want to do. So Brennan Bouchard has been a huge, uh, huge uh, just example in my life of somebody that I want to be more like and his materials help. So his book, High Performance Habits is a great one, Brennan Bouchard. Uh, I'll mention a, a tool that I really love. It's called Text Expander. Um, Text Expander just lets you make little codes. So you can type in like three or four letters. You can make the code whatever you want, preferably not an actual word so you don't mess up your keyboard. But when you type in this little code, it'll expand into some pre-written text you've already done. So one of the ways we've actually narrowed down our, our support inbox is by me writing up the most ideal response to like any question ever. And they just made the little codes. So what the support team is doing is they're just memorizing those codes. And this one, someone's complaining, I use the example earlier, they're complaining about uploading an image. So it's like S upload and S upload will make this whole paragraph about exactly how to do it. It brings out the instructions and they just type it in like that. So what used to take like five minutes for someone to type up a response and try to do it in my words is now just a little code and hit enter and you're done. And uh, so text expander is a really great tool. I don't actually know how I'd work without that one anymore. Um, so that's a great one. And the, uh, th- the last thing that I will mention, uh, I've really enjoyed this book called Indistractable by Near Eall. I think a lot of us get really distracted, especially in today's world. We've got Netflix in the background. We've got our phone within our hands reach and that we're working on something on the computer. But his book, Indistractable, Near Eall, super helpful, helps you understand how to make room for traction in your life. And that's what really can generate some results. It's how I get the one thing done every day. I put all the mm-hmm. distractions away. I get that done. And then, sure, I can do all those things later, I suppose. But those are some really helpful resources that, that I enjoy. Cool. I haven't heard that book, Indistractable, but I'll definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Brendan as well. I, I used to follow oh, cool. him back when I was in corporate. I used to watch his videos to also want to quit my job then. So I know that feeling. And then I actually, you know, I read his book, I think a couple of years ago, and then uh, I actually got gifted his 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 high performance journal planner. That, nice. Cool. Uh, somebody gifted, a friend gifted to me uh, last month. So I'm actually trying to use it. It's pretty cool. I, I yeah. use that as well. It's it's amazing. I love that. It is. Yeah. Yeah. He's an awesome. Um, cool. And you know, you've, you've had some success, obviously, you know, you're, you're doing great, you're growing at a great pace here. Um, what does success mean to you today, Alex, whether it's personally, financially, uh, you know, there's no right answer. Yeah, so success to me is actually a mindset more than anything else. And I say that because again, I mentioned early on in the conversation how my, my father was an entrepreneur when I was growing up and he had a lot of really successful friends. Like my family didn't necessarily make it to some of these levels or anything like that when I was growing up, especially, but some of the people we were around were, were very wealthy. But I can remember even as a kid realizing that they were some of the most miserable people I'd ever seen in my life. And I, I don't say it to be, to be joking, but now I look back and that's really sad. Like they had, they had private planes, they had boats, they had massive homes and they weren't happy. But by all means, like that you and I would look and be like, wow, they're super successful. And that's because we kind of have a misconception of success being strictly monetary. Monetary success is a byproduct, I believe, of a true meaning of success, which is an internal mindset that we have of being content, being happy where we are, enjoying life in the moment that we're in right now. A success mindset is far more powerful than monetary success. So for me, 
even though right now I'm actually not pulling any money from Podmatch, we're reinvesting all of it. So I'm living off of savings. So by the world standards, I'm not successful today. However, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm more fulfilled in my relationship with my wife. I have great friendships and I'm, I'm really making an impact on the world. And that's a big thing to me. And so for me, I can sleep at night knowing, you know, I'm living a very successful life. So for me, the definition of success is all in your mindset, how you really portray the things you're doing. And I believe that money becomes a byproduct of that long term. Love it. Love it. Alex, this has been great. That's a good way to wrap it up. Um, Alex, what are your future plans for, for Podmatch? And uh, where can our audience get in touch with you, learn more about what you're working on and maybe uh, try it out? Yeah, thanks, Akil. Uh, you know, first off, this podcast, again, this is, I know I've already said a couple times, this is the place to be. So hang hang here, everybody who's listening. If you are interested in looking me up, you can find everything at creatingabrand.com forward slash free. That's where you can just kind of uh, check out what I'm doing and things like that. Great way to get in touch with me. All my social links and stuff are there. Podmatch.com. Great service. Go check it out. There's there's a free version right now that people can can use. And my future plans with this is just to continue to grow the podcast and 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 also on the SaaS side for Podmatch is just to continue doing my best to hone in on the problems that we're actually solving for our members and to really just make a better solution for them every day. So that is my my focus, and I am enjoying every second of it. So thanks again for having me here, man. This was fun. Thank you, thank you, Alex. And yeah, we actually started using Podmatch ourselves actually a couple of weeks ago, and that's how we we found you. So definitely, yeah, as you guys awesome. should check it check it out as well. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate yeah. you jumping on. Thanks, Cheers. man. It was an honor to be here. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.